Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of the 16 Bitchin' Podcast. I am your host, Tom Heather, also known as Sega Head on YouTube. It's just me and my own this time, but I'm still going to talk to you about three wonderful games, one modern, one retro, and one indie. And I've been having a lot of fun doing this podcast. I hope you've had a lot of fun trying it, testing it out, listening to it, subscribing, and hopefully checking out more of the Retro Refresh family via the website. Check in the description of this podcast, click it, and just go there. So what wonderful games have we got in store for you today? Well, we're going to start with the modern one. As you've expected, this is becoming the norm. wasn't really intended to be. I may mix it up one day, but for now, yeah, modern first. Fuck it. So we're going to go straight into it. Predator Hunting Grounds. Now, you may be asking, the fuck is that? Well, let me put it this way. This is basically a multiplayer-only game. I mean... Have you ever played the Friday the 13th game? No? Okay. You get thrown into a room with a bunch of other people online. Some of you will be Marines. One of you will be the Predator. Now, the Marines have a mission. It's not just, as you should imagine, kill the fucking Predator. You've been given a set mission. Kind of like how Arnie was given a set mission to do whatever the fuck that was about. That Dylan said you had to do, but then it wasn't that because he's a lying bastard. Spoilers, if you haven't seen Predator... <sighs> bollocks, basically, you should have done by now. But anyway, as a Marine, you're given a mission. You have optional missions, but the mission will be different for every stage, basically. There are many, many missions. I don't know how many, but there are several. Your objective is to complete said mission before the Predator finds you and kills you. Now, just because the Predator has managed to find you doesn't mean he's going to kill you. If your teammates are close by, if they're smart enough and organised enough, you can all shoot the Predator dead. Or you can shoot the Predator and basically knock him down. And if you don't kill him quick enough, he will activate the self-destruct mechanism and annihilate fucking everything. You can run out of the blast zone, but you've got to be quick. Or you can try and be a clever fuck and try and decode the gauntlet so you stop the explosion. This part of the game I have never succeeded at. I've tried many times. I can't fucking do it. One day I will. But that day has not yet come about. I've, I've only ever escaped the explosion or been lucky enough to kill the fucking predator before he's managed to do that. This is one of them games where it is great with friends. It is fantastic with friends. It's crap to play on your own, but it is great with friends. I've played it with Tom and Lacey of Do You Nerd, my mate Comic Rob, my wife Charlie, also known on YouTube as Pissed Off Togepi. I feel like I should have mentioned that in previous um, podcasts, but it's okay. She can't get angry at me because she won't be listening to this because she's evil and I hate her. Love you in case you're listening to this and proving me wrong. Oh shit, I'm in trouble. To my knowledge, this game is only released at the moment at least on the PlayStation 4 and PC. Now, what's really weird is, when you're a Marine, this is a first-person shooter. But when you're a Predator, it's a third-person shooter. Now, we've covered a bit about the Marines. We will do maybe a little bit later on. But right now, let's cover the Predator. What is it like being the Predator? Well, it's a very good way to make your friends hate you if you're any good. Because you kill them and ruin their fucking game. 
Now, you get Heat Seeker Vision, which sometimes can be handy, but honestly, 90% of the time, you're just looking at blue jungle, and it's shit. I find it really annoying. It's crap. The stealth, much like the movies, the stealth isn't uh, 100%. You know, you can see a sort of predator-shaped outline if you're looking in the right place. Which means if the marines are looking the right way, they see you move, they will make you out. But if you're very still, they're unlikely to see you because it's a jungle, there's a lot of foliage, there's a lot of everything going on. And in this game, I should have mentioned this before, but there are also enemy, uh, not really soldiers, terrorists maybe, they're trying to shoot you as well. There's a lot of NPCs to kill. So the Predator is not your only problem as a Marine. Anyway, the Predator also has a shitload of weapons. He's got like a Predator sword, a Norse hammer. The hammer is wank. My mate Rob, when he unlocked it, he was happy thinking, oh yeah, we're going Norse Valhalla, bitch. He's trying to swing the hammer at me. I'm literally just running backwards and shooting, and he kept missing. He's like, the hammer sucks! It officially sucks! I can't hit this cunt! All the time, I'm running back, shooting him in the face, going, you can't get me, you can't get me. Of course, annoying him even more, because that's what I do. That's what makes it more fun, winding him up. If you listen to this, Rob, lol. But of course, you've also got... The spears. You've got the, uh, what's it called? Plasma gun? You've got the plasma gun. The shoulder cannon thingy. It's probably called plasma cannon or some crap now, isn't it? I've got the name half right each time. That is awesome because there's a lot of people out there that when they're predator, they basically become a sniper. Meaning they get up in a fucking tree and just keep shooting you. Now, this is a giveaway, of course, when they see where the big-ass glowing plasma thing came from. It's not too hard to figure out where the Predator is. But the Predator can jump from tree to tree and it can still be a real shit to shoot. But there are many more weapons anyway. So let's just say we've covered that. There's a great variety of Predator tech to use. The Marines, you can only carry two guns at a time. You can carry grenades as well. Uh, flashbang grenades, health packs... Various shit like that. But there's a lot of unlockables in the game. And that's what makes me really enjoy playing it, is there's so much cool shit to unlock. Funnily enough, me, Rob, my wife were playing one night. Uh, this was the middle of the week, so we couldn't play with Tom and Lacey because they're in America. Time difference. You know, on the weekend, time difference, we can still work it out. But during the week, after work... When we're at home playing games, they are still at work, so obviously they can't play. There you go. But one evening we were playing, and you still have to have a team of four Marines versus one Predator. Has to be that. It's a five-player game, no matter what, basically. Unless you do a private match, maybe then you can sort something out. I don't know. We've never tried. But we got put with one random guy, or rather one random guy got fucking thrown in with us. And he was a medic. Now, you would think, who gives a fuck about a medic? Well, when one of your teammates gets knocked down by the Predator, they don't die instantly. They're downed, and they need help to get up. Now, they can either be carrying a one-time-use item, which will get them up, and then they can continue until the fucking Predator does it again, or they get shot to shit by NPCs. Or, yes, a teammate can just go up, you hold a square or whatever, there'll be a little circle... 
You've got to wait for it to fill. Then you've got your teammate up. They are back in action. But it's slow. A medic does it in half the time. The first time we got teamed up with this random medic guy, I was like, holy shit, I'm back up already? Uh, okay. Awesome. Great. And remember I said you can have health packs? Well, you can have basically two per match, and when they're gone, you can sometimes find something scattered around a level, but it's hard to find. You're unlikely to find it, and if you do find it, there's normally like, it's in a suitcase of um, three or maybe four med packs. When they're gone, they're gone. That's it. And of course, you've got your teammates. They're going to want them. You're going to have to share. If you don't work as a team, you are going to fuck it, basically. But a medic can drop two additional health packs that anyone can pick up and they can be used uh, two, maybe three times. Not sure. Basically, the medic is a fantastic little insurance policy. Now, from playing a couple of offline, well, sorry, not offline games, games without my friends because I wanted to test this game properly for this little review. I wanted to experience it when it's not with people you know. I leveled up faster than everyone else, just because I got the experience. Thanks to the leveling up, I unlocked the ability to become a medic first. So I said to everyone, look, I'll be the medic because we need one. And the option's here now, so I'm fucking taking it. This did knacker a few of my perks, but it gave me the ability to help my teammates much more. Rob later unlocked the ability to drop ammo, as opposed to, like, the medic dropping med packs, you know. That helped a fuck of a lot. And then he got another ability. I forget what he calls it. There's a radar on the screen that shows enemies nearby, objectives, blah, blah, blah. This scanner mode thing he's unlocked will highlight all of the hidden experience bullshit you can pick up. Like predator tech and various crap. But if the predator's nearby, there will be a predator mask shaped icon on the radar so you know where to look that is incredibly valuable even though it only lasts for a few seconds also in researching a little bit about this game i was blown away by this i found out apparently it is the first predator video game to be released in a decade and the last one was a fucking mobile game how mad is that you would have thought there'd been more more recent i don't know this game is graphically appealing. It really does serve the purpose. It's got nice motion. Um, unfortunately, because, you know, it's a big online multiplayer game, it relies on everyone having good internet. So if one of you's got bad internet, it could fuck the game up for other people. It could. Or usually the worst case scenario is the person with the bad internet is just fucked off out of it. That's kind of the worst case scenarios we have encountered playing it. Musically, well... In the game, there's not really a lot, but at the main menu, there's the typical Predator theme from the movies. My god, you will be sick to shit to that after playing it for a while, because there's so much customising to do to your fire team marine. That's right, the marines are called fire team. And there's so many unlockables, so many different guns, so much cool shit that you get via levelling up, which you don't have to survive. If the Predator kills you... Don't worry, there's still experience to be had. It's not a game where rage quitting will benefit you. If you've died, it's better to just go, fuck, and wait. Because also, if the Predator has killed you, your teammates do have one opportunity per game to call in reinforcements. And magically, those reinforcements are the people that died. 
No, it doesn't make scientific sense, but who gives a shit? It means you get to play the game some more. The thing that really baffles me about this game is its reviews. Its reviews suck. IGN gave it a 5 out of 10. Game Revolution gave it a 3.5 out of 5. EGM gave it a 2-star rating out of a possible 5. Destructoid gave it 6 out of 10. And Metacritic gave it a 56 out of 100 for the PS4 version. The PC one got 62, which is slightly higher, but it's still shit. So these are very split reviews. It's very, like, 50-50 if you pay attention to all the numbers and all that. So why is it so cut down the middle? Why is it such a mixed review game? I mean... Thomas Franzes, whose name I've blatantly pronounced wrong, huge apology, he's from Inverse, he reviewed the beta and he called it the worst Sony game of this generation. That the game feels like a mess, visually outdated and unpolished. I disagree. I can only assume that the early releases were phenomenally wank compared to the game you get now. But let's just look at it from this point of view. Who really gives a fuck about how the game was then? It's about how the game is now. If you buy the game now, is it good? This is what this is about today. Should you get it now? Now, Jonathan Dornbush, or Brush, or I don't know, fucking funny name. Dude from IGN, who also played The Trial Weekend, noted the excessive wait times to get into the game. Now, I will say... The loading can still be a bit shit. It can still take a little while. But, when I'm with my friends, we're all on the headsets, and we're all chatting shit. We're waiting for a game to start, we're not waiting too long. I mean, it's a couple of minutes. It's, you've, there's a timer, so I know it's a couple of minutes. Worst case scenario is one time it hit 1 minute 30 seconds. I cancelled it, restarted it. They are ready in 16 seconds. That's normally what happens. If it goes over a minute, I think, ah, it's not working. Cancel it, start it again. And then it works in seconds. I don't know why it does that. It, it just does. It's weird, but that's... Yeah, it's weird, but it does seem to work. The other funny thing is, Tom and Lacey of Do You Nerd, unfortunately, their internet isn't brilliant sometimes, especially when we're playing an online game. When loading a fucking match... Then, sometimes, sometimes, let's say, one out of seven, I would guess an average one out of seven times, either Tom or Lacey has been booted before the fucking thing started up. Which is annoying. But they never get kicked, and they almost never have any internet problems when in a match. So when it started and you're playing, it's normally fine. Loading-wise, getting it started, sometimes, yeah. There's a bit of a problem there sometimes. So basically, I do get what this fella's saying about the loading times. They can be a bit crap. Matey talking about the graphics, well, that must have been one of the earliest ones. Like he said, um, he was reviewing the beta. So obviously, the beta must have just been very crap compared to what we got now, I guess. But also, despite these wanky reviews, the PlayStation 4 version, nearly said VOR, PlayStation 4 version of Predator Hunting Grounds 
was the 10th best-selling retail game during its first week of release in Japan, selling 9,172 copies. So, yeah, it's strange. It does really bad in reviews in one area, and it does really good in another. So, this is a game that if you've got the friends online, you've got to try it. Because it is dead fun. Loading times can be a bit of a dick. But as I say, when it's gotten too long, 1 minute 30 seconds, oh god, it's like a fucking lifetime. Just quit. Start again. 14 seconds. Something like that. It, it does work. I don't know why. I'm not claiming to know why. But it does fucking work. You know what? That's the second time I talked about a modern game that's pretty much 100% reliant on online multiplayer. Next time I'm going to have to do a game that's all single player. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. And that's more than enough talk about our modern game, so let's move on to our retro game. This game, many people will say, is the only reason why you should even own a Nintendo 64. Me, I can think of a few other games. Not many, admittedly, but this is one of the biggest reasons to own an N64 console. The Legend of Zelda. Ocarina of Time is the motherfucking tits. The first 3D Zelda game. You would expect there to be some hmm, transitions between 2D to 3D to be a little rough around the edges. But there really isn't. The most annoying thing about the game isn't actually a game mechanic. It's a character called Navi. Navi the fucking fairy, which is now pretty much known all over the gaming world as the annoying fairy git that only ever says, hey, look, listen. Funny thing is, my wife can do a damn good impression of Navi. And yeah, it kind of makes your eye twitch. It's fucking annoying. It was released quite late, though. It came out in 1998. It was later released on the GameCube. And remastered, really, not really the same thing. It was remastered for the 3DS. The 3DS version is the better version. Graphically, it looks so much better. Everything's been uh, smoothed out where it needs to be smoothed out, ironed out where it needs to be ironed out. Um, Link's nose <laughs> isn't a fucking pyramid anymore. It looks like a nose. Everything looks better. Everything... Well, I say sounds better, the 3DS speakers, honestly. I never liked them. I always used headphones. So if you use headphones, headset, whatever, going to sound way better than even the N64 one. But enough about the different versions and all of that shit. The story is pretty much the same as it's always been. Link, save Zelda, kill Ganon, or Ganondorf, as he is in this one. Why they changed his name to Ganondorf, I don't actually know. There probably is a reason... But I don't fucking know it. And despite the fact that the 3DS version is, yeah, much more appealing to look at game, it is still an awesome game on the N64. The graphics are still really nice, really good. When you go back to the early 3D games, like early PlayStation, early N64, Sega Saturn, no, the 3D games on the Saturn just look crap. Well, not all of them. I mean, virtual on... I still, to this day, say that is a fantastic game, the tits. But let's not go off on a tangent to Sega Saturn. We'll do that another day. Ocarina of Time is still awesome in terms of graphics. What's weird, though, about the game is, as you've noticed from the title, 
ocarina of time. What's a fucking ocarina? Well, it's a type of flute, but it's one that's kind of potato-shaped with a little nibbly bit. In fact, there are ocarinas out there that are called the potato-style ones. (laughs) That is a thing, trust me. Gamers across the world, when they found out about the ocarina and they got into the game so much, and ocarinas would appear in other Zelda games as well. In fact, ocarinas made more of an appearance in gaming as a whole. There was an ocarina that appeared in a Wonder Boy game on the fucking Master System and the Mega Drive. Many gamers bought ocarinas. I should imagine a total of 0.0000000001% of these people actually got good at it and kept playing. Everyone else, there's an ocarina in their drawer. I am one of those people. I'm not actually that bad at the ocarina. I can play it. I just didn't pursue it. If I picked that thing out of the drawer, I would probably be able to remember like two tunes. They're both Zelda ones, but I can fucking play them. And not too bad. You know, for my ocarina, which is a cheap piece of crap, but meh. The music in this game is some of the best in any Zelda game. Let's just face it, it is. Mainly because Ocarina, they've focused on the music aspect of the game more. They've had to. I mean, when you focus it on an instrument, you kind of need to make sure that the music is really well done. It is important. They've succeeded. The music in the game is just, it's stellar. It's fucking fried gold. It's awesome. The controls on the game. The only thing that really hampers the controls is the controller. The N64 controller, as we all know, is not epic. NES controller. Fantastic. First of its kind. Brought it up. The D-pad. Start and select. It's awesome controller. There's no point in arguing that. I mean, the Master System did pretty much try to rip them off and not succeed very well because, you know, patterns, they couldn't copy the D-pad completely. They made their own one, which was uh, not as good. The Super Nintendo controller. Many would say that's the best controller ever. I don't agree, but it is a bloody good controller. So Nintendo are clearly getting better and better with controllers, aren't they? Then they bring out the N64 one. It was not a step up. It was a step down. Is it shit? Would I say the controller is shit? No. I would say I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Everyone jokes that you need free hands to play it. When you're holding the thing, yeah, it bloody feels like that. So that's the only thing that really screws the fucking controls of this game, is the controller. If you're playing the 3DS one, you're set. That problem is gone. Like any Zelda game, there is a great variety of weapons. Many of the weapons in this game are ones that have been continued in use uh, throughout the series. Hookshot. Um, wait, did Link's Awakening come out before Ocarina of Time? Because that had a type of hookshot, didn't it? Fuck it, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Right? I'm, I'm either right or I'm wrong. I don't fucking know. But the hookshot is awesome. The boomerang works surprisingly fucking well surprisingly well and that's because of the lock-on mechanic the 3d remember every zelda game before was 2d then you hit 3d you would expect there to be a bit of a learning curve and some things to be rough in terms of the basic gameplay but the lock-on mechanic saves everything this is why i'm not a big fan of mario 64 
I just feel like it's a little all over the place in terms of trying to jump where I want to jump and attack the way I want to attack, blah, blah, blah. That's probably because I grew up with Ocarina of Time. The lock-on mechanic means I'm facing where I want to fucking face. I'm attacking what I want to attack. I'm using whatever weapon slash item I want to in the manner I desire. Thanks to the lock-on mechanic. You wouldn't think it's all that important. Try playing this fucking game without using it. Just try. You will get pissed off. I guarantee it. It's a valuable mechanic within the game. If we're going to look at the reviews of the game, honestly, I'm not surprised by these reviews. Let's just quickly go over them. Metacritic, 99 out of 100. I would love to know what that one was that they didn't like. Edge, 10 out of 10. EGM, 10 out of 10. Famitsu, 40 out of 40. GamePro, full gold stars. GameSpot, 10 out of 10. IGN, 10 out of 10. Next Generation, full gold stars. Nintendo Power, 9.5 out of 10. What's that 0.5? I want to know. RPG Gamer. Or RP Gamer, however it's pronounced, I don't know. 5 out of 5. Basically, they're saying it's a perfect fucking game. It was awarded Game of the Year. Hell, it was also awarded Greatest Game of All Time by various things. Game Informer, uh, PAL, GN, Entertainment Weekly, Game Trailers, Metacritic, Nintendo Power, blah blah blah. It's got many greatest game of all time awards, is what I'm saying. There's a load more other suggestions and examples, but fuck it. Many people say the Ocarina of Time was a huge influence upon them. In people that created games, in people that created stories based on games, in people that fell in love with fantasy worlds and all that shit, it made a big impact on everyone. Fucking everyone. And if you love this game and you want to play a console version, then get the GameCube version instead of the N64 one, simply because you can use the GameCube controller. I am admittedly not a big fan of that controller, but many people are. The N64 controller is bad for many reasons. The GameCube controller, it's not bad. It's not my cup of tea, but it is good because so many people like it. You can't deny that. If you play the GameCube port or, hell, the Wii Virtual Console one, but let's face it, unless you got that already, you're not fucking getting it. Then you will have much better control over everything. And the GameCube one has the Master's Quest. So if you think you're shit hot and fucking brilliant, get the Master's Quest where everything's more difficult. That's basically what it is. Ocarina of Time hard mode. I think you can also use the Wii Classic controller uh, if you wanted to. Um, it's not a bad controller, always felt a little cheap, but it's not a bad controller. Anyway, that's The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. I could go on about that game a hell of a lot. I really could. It's one of my favourite N64 games. I had it back in the day. I am so lucky to have had it back in the day, when the graphics obviously appeared more hmm, groundbreaking. If you're playing it for the first time nowadays... It's not going to look as epic if you played it back then and you're fucking bleeding nostalgia because it is awesome. I can't pick a favourite Zelda game. I can't. There's too many great ones out there. Fucking far too many. But this one would definitely have to be high on the list. Just because. Alright, just because. Everything about it is awesome. And now I've really got to shut myself up. I'm forcing myself to now. I want to talk more about it. 
But I can't. Because I've got to move on to the indie game. Now, this indie game is very special. I'll tell you why in a second. Tormented by the unknown environment and messages on the wall that give the feeling of being watched. Glow is found in a strange world where everything is covered in darkness. Using whatever light can be found and blind faith, Glow must try to find a way through the darkness to unravel the mystery and escape this nightmare. At least that's what the story on Steam says. Glow is an indie game invented by Retro Refresh's very own Chronic Spartan. This is his game. It came out in 2017 on Steam, but it has very recently been released on the Nintendo Switch. Now, any indie game creator will tell you, getting their game on Steam, alright, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but it's kind of easy-ish. Getting your game to be good enough to go on the Switch, well, that's a bit tougher. That's not as easy. Which you would find surprising, because if you look at some of the indie games on the Switch, my god, there is some shite! I mean, you remember the Nintendo Wii? There was a lot of shelf games, games that you bought and went, ah, and you just threw it on the shelf because it sucked, it was cheap, it was a crap idea in just about every way. Yeah, the Switch has got a lot of digital versions of that sort of shit. I don't know why Nintendo are doing this. It's as if they feel like, we need to have more games to sell than anyone else. Having more games doesn't make it better, for fuck's sake. Having better games makes it better. But having said that, it is still difficult to get your indie game on the Switch. Stav of Chronic Spartan finally managed to do this. And that's how I've played it. Because I don't play PC games, I play console games. And Glow! Fuck. The story you've just heard sounds very deep. Very dark. Very mysterious. And yet, you are a fucking square. I mean, it's adventure all over again. You're a knight. Save the world. Get the chalice. Defeat the dragons. But you're a square, mate. You're a fucking square. But that doesn't mean shit when it comes to glow. This is one of them perfect examples of graphics not being that important. Now, that may seem a bit hypocritical, because I've just praised the graphics in Predator, and I've praised the graphics in Ocarina of Time. Yes, they're bloody good! In Glow! They're basic. They're not bad, because they're designed to be basic. They're not designed to be something awesome, and they look like shit. Like, I don't know, game with uh, bad graphics. Hello Neighbor. Looks like crap to me. Sorry, I think it looks shit. Glow is designed to be basic. The blocks are all very Tetris-in-themed, but there are little enemy things that look like atoms that float about the place. It's a platformer. Jump here, jump there. You think, sounds simple enough? Well, it isn't, because it is all in the dark. The game's called Glow, because there's a circle of light around your character, and nowhere else. Isn't that fun? The features listed on Steam are 100 challenging levels, 4 epic boss fights, precise controls, speedrun mode, a world shadowed in darkness full of secrets, 
pure abstract word Tom word pure abstract visuals designed to stretch the boundaries of imagination. Atmospheric soundtrack blended with the environment and story to build a world of emotion. Glow is a -a one-of-a-kind experience that takes you on an emotional story of curiosity, wonder, and fear. Glow combines the environment and story as one allowing you to reveal everything from nothing. In a world where nothing is known, everything is a surprise. Sounds like a fucking novel. I mean, it doesn't say a lot about the game when it comes to them last few little pointers on Steam, but fuck it. Is the story good in Glow? You know what? When you're playing it in the darkness, you run along and find text written on the screen, or the walls, as it says in the description. You can move along so you can read it properly. I won't lie, when I played it, I started reading it for the first few levels, and then I thought I don't care. So I carried on playing it without reading the story. Sorry, Stav. I'm sorry, mate. I didn't care. But it didn't matter. And you'll find out why in a bit. The hundred challenging levels. God damn! Everyone on the Live at the Arcade livestream, which unfortunately is at least on a hiatus. You never know, it might come back. Everyone was saying at one point when we were talking about Glow and Mike, Retro Gamer Boy, was playing Glow. Everyone was going in the comments, Level 75. There's a hundred levels in the game, but everyone was saying level 75. And some people were going, I beat level 75. It was getting to a point where it's like, that should be a shirt slogan for that fucking game. You're going to have to play it to see for that one. The four epic boss fights. Well, he's been quite inventive with the bosses. You would think, okay, why are these bosses so awesome? What makes them so fucking special? Bear in mind, you can't see a lot of the game. First boss is a shadow monster in a game where you can't see. You think, sadistic, son of a bitch. I won't say any more on that except that it's bloody clever how he's um, utilized his little shadow function. All right? Just trust me on that one. Precise controls, yes, but also no. You have a bit of a, not momentum, but it's a bit of a slip factor. When you let go of a jump and you land, it's very easy to slip. Or when you run to then jump, it's very easy to slip before you jump at the intended time. So the controls are precise once you get around that slight slip factor. When you get over that, then you can master it. So it would take a little bit of practice. I'd say by level nine, you should have probably got the knack of it. Atmospheric soundtrack. You know what? I listen to the music when playing the game, and I think that is just so stab. That is so Chronic Spartan. You watch Chronic Spartan's videos, you'll see what I mean, which you can check out at the Retro Refresh website. Go to the details in this podcast. Despite the fact that the game is 90% in the fucking dark, there is actually a lot of color. There's a lot of enemies. There are enemies you have to shoot. That's right, you can shoot in this game. I didn't find that out until, like, level 15, because I'm a dick and didn't read the thing at the bottom left corner on the fucking main screen, the title screen, that says what button shoots. I didn't read it, so I'm a dick. I got that far without realising I can shoot shit. But there are also enemies you can just jump on to kill. Typical platforming enemies. 
Everything can kill you in one hit. Hence why you need to be careful in the dark. You can learn where they are after dying a couple of times. Every time you die, everything quickly respawns, but you can jump and annihilate them because you've learnt where they are. The only other thing, aside from yourself, of course, that is always lit up, is the ending block. Basically, run up, touch the block, that's it, you've done the level. That, that's, that's it. All you need to do is get to the end block. Sounds simple, I know, but it's not. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. This is a perfect game if you think that you're a platformer expert. Now, I won't lie, I've often said my favourite um, video game genre is RPGs. But the one that I am best at is platformers. This is a perfect test of your platforming skills as a gamer. If you can do this, then yeah, hold your hands up high, be happy, you are a fucking good platform gamer. You just are. Right? If you've done this, you've earned a platinum trophy. I don't know where you can get one because it's only released on the fucking Switch. Maybe there's a thing on Steam. Don't know, don't play PC, remember? But you deserve to be known as a platforming expert because the game is fucking hard. But fair hard. Not really in the way of uh, sense of bullshit. You know what I mean? Because it's dark, you will jump sometimes, and you'll fall to your doom, you'll land on an enemy the wrong way, you'll fuck up, you'll die a lot. This is a game where you die a lot. That may put off some young gamers who don't like dying at all and think a game is bullshit, I died. Back in the day, you died a lot in video games, get over it. Alright? It doesn't matter how many times you've died in this fucking game, it just matters if you can do it. And then if you can, you think you're shit hot, try and do it again with less deaths. Try it. Honestly, fucking try it. This is a very good game. It's basic. It relies entirely on skill, which you will develop through practicing. The levels do get pro progressively harder, although you will get to one sometimes. It will baffle the shit out of you. Me and Mike got to one particular level. I can't remember what it was. It was before level 30, I know that, and when I got there, I jumped around, I'm like, I can't find where to go. It's just a void, there's nothing there. This, it's not bullshit, but has he forgotten to program the fucking level? Where do I go? I'm not going to spoil it, but I figured it out. I was like, oh, clever dick, clever dick. Then when Mike did it on Live at the Arcade, he did the exact same thing. He's like, where the, where the shit do I go? What the fuck? Then he figured it out. He was like, oh, that crafty bastard. <laughs> crafty bastard. Glow. Graphically, simple, yet nice to look at. All about the gameplay, though, in my eyes. The music just reminds me of Stav and his channel, Chronic Spartan. Check it out at the Retro Refresh website, or just look for it on YouTube. But that is our indie game of the day. So... Predator Hunting Grounds for our modern game, Ocarina of Time for our retro game, and Glow for our indie game. I hope you have enjoyed this episode of the 16 Bitchin' Podcast. Please subscribe, check it out, share with your friends, all that other shit. Check out the Retro Refresh website. If you have ideas of games you would like me to talk about or just check out, you can find me at Sagahead on YouTube, or you can email me Sagahead at hotmail.com. 
That was a lot of fun talking about that. No worries. I do love talking about a good Zelda game. I really had to step on my own toes to try and get me to shut up. Podcast might have gone a little bit longer than the other ones because I just talk so much. I don't know. I won't know until I've finished and checked stuff out. So thank you very much for checking it out today. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. And I hope to see you on the next episode of the podcast. Until then, bye-bye.